You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash Thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Nat Howard. He is owner of TMB Ventures. He's a marketing expert. We're going to talk to him a little bit about his entrepreneurial journey, his experience having grown a service-based company, and then how he works with companies to help them with marketing, with marketing strategy, and really with overall just kind of business operations, business performance. I'm excited to have this because I, Nat and I have known each other for a while, and we've kind of seen each other's businesses grown over the years. Uh, and I'm excited to kind of hear what's up with him recently and understand where his business has gone. It's always a, a fun conversation to kind of hear people's journeys and how things have developed. With that, now welcome to the program. Thanks, Bruce. Yeah. So let's do a little bit of background before we kind of dive into the the business and the, the work that you're doing right now. How did you get into marketing? What was the, I guess, what was the professional kind of story, the journey that you've been on that got you into the marketing space? And then we can talk a little bit about business. Sure. Well, going back to, to college, I majored in communications at Brigham Young University and And there you choose a track and my track or emphasis was public relations. I also took Econ 101 or 110 for a a general ed and loved it and decided to do the major just because I was so fascinated with it and had heard from a handful of people that the business minor was super easy and very valuable for people doing PR. So I did the business minor as well. And so I was interested in those things. And actually, one of the classes I took my last semester was like the intro to finance class. And I remember taking it and thinking, oh my gosh, if I had found this when I was a freshman, I probably would have been a finance major. So here I was, you know, coming out of a a software program, writing skills, relationships, you know, public relations and so on, and really fascinated with numbers and strategy and business and so on. So from there, I graduated and went to New York City. I interned at Weber Shanwick in their corporate communications division and then got a job at an integrated communications agency doing just really like a hybrid of traditional corporate comms and PR and then also some stuff on the digital side of doing some analytics and managing clients' websites and building new websites for them or overseeing the building of new websites. So kind of fanned out my pure communications training track to have experience in different marketing and digital comms channels. And I did that for two years and um, you know, I lived in the city through that whole time and made a lot of friends, many of whom were in media and marketing and none of them were happy at their agencies. And I'd go outside, you know, during lunch and see people who clearly were not tourists and were also not returning to jobs and thought like, who are all these people who are working their own schedules and just had the crazy idea to venture out on my own. So I, I did that. And now uh, eight years or almost eight years later, I'm still uh, self-employed. 
Yeah. And I'm always curious to to hear what was, having made the decision to go down on your own, what was the thing that surprised you the most or the biggest challenge you ran into that you didn't expect? I'm sure if I had thought for a second that this would be a challenge before I started, then I would have recognized it was a challenge. You know, I was still two years out of school, pretty high-minded and kind of confident in myself. And I really thought that I could just come out swinging and say, you know, I'm a one-man McKinsey shop and <laughs> that people would recognize my brilliance and my academic yeah. background and my smarts and hire me to solve their problems and, and, you know, reward me handsomely for it. And I found out, you know, quickly that people have more immediate concerns and they are, you know, are not really impressed by your academic background, especially when they're concerned about making money. They really just kind of want something off the shelf that has a proven track record and where you can just make a clear pitch and say, this is how much it costs and this is the impact and this is how much money you're going to make. And here's all the times that we've done it. And so it honestly took me several months to like wake up to that and embrace it and realize that if I was going to be successful on my own, I needed to just roll with that rather than fight it or just keep waiting until I found someone who, you know, quote unquote, would recognize my my brilliance and be willing to hire me with no record of working on my own. So, I mean, it's really laughable to think about it now. I'm sure people who started out on their own when they were younger or had less real world business experience might relate or, you know, those who skipped that are probably just laughing. What a fool. And I certainly (laughs) recognize the the haughtiness of it at the time, but, you know, I couldn't see it then. I'm I'm glad I can see it now. I always say it's like entrepreneurs going out, working for yourself, being an entrepreneur, you have to be slightly delusional, right? You just, because if you really assessed and really understood all the risks and the likelihoods and everything, you just never do it because it it is. uh, For sure. It's not. The other thing I just thought of as we were talking is, you know, growing up, if your parents don't work for a small business or if they're not entrepreneurs or family members, like if you don't have exposure to B2B businesses or small businesses, then the only businesses you have exposure to are like Fortune 500 companies that advertise on television and to kids and on billboards. And and so that's just how you think of business is big business. But as you know, small business and professional or B2B business is very different from consumer business at a a national or international scale. And so there's just like a huge learning curve of the difference and what's important and how things work and timelines and all that stuff that you kind of have to wake up to. And, you know, my, I I didn't really have much exposure to that or any at all growing up. So it was an entirely new world for me to step into. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to, to talk to folks who had strong kind of mentors or role models, you know, whether it's family or, you know, just people in their lives that really gave them kind of an entrepreneurial flavor or spirit or a model to work with. And, and those that didn't, it's interesting. I think most entrepreneurs are kind of accidental entrepreneurs, right? It was not a plan yeah. from the beginning. I didn't say like, I, well, do I want to be a fireman or do I want to be an entrepreneur? Right? It's not something you know in <laughs> kindergarten, right? It's something right. that ends up kind of happening sometimes quite accidentally. So. so talk to us about the marketing side. I mean, in terms of focus on marketing, where, when for you did it or what was your sort of strategy or, or what kind of area of marketing did you want to be focused on? Why that area? How has that kind of evolved over time? Give us a sense of within the world of marketing, how do you approach it? What is your kind of sweet spot in the world of marketing? Yeah. I mean, first to how I landed there, I recognized the skills that I had when I was starting, which was mostly in writing and sort of campaign planning and thinking about the people who receive your messages and in public relations, the training there really is to think about uh, people's perception. And then the wins that you want to have are either placements in news media or other people in the community who just kind of have favorable impressions of the company or kind of sign off on allowing 
allowing you know the company to go forward with, with something that they want to do. And so what you're trying to earn there is is affinity. And so I had that, but then as I kept talking with uh, small business owners and potential clients and current clients that I had, I realized the thing that they are working towards with all of their communications is you know it's like they don't have the luxury of worrying about affinity of everyone in the community. It's like they just need people to or they need communications that brings them more money, you know, that brings them revenue. And so why I transitioned to marketing was realizing that's the more important thing, like in hierarchy of needs for a small business, they need revenue before they need positive affinity from people in the community who are, who are not their customers. So I just realized like I have the skill set to write and think persuasively, you know, on behalf of a business out there in the world. It's just now instead of getting people to vote for it, be like, yeah, I like this business. Now I need to do that in a way that has them say, yes, I'm going to buy this product. So it was just a, that place of like, what skills do I have? And then really looking at what do people need that I'm speaking with and that I have access to and the kinds of you know businesses that I'm going to start working with. And yeah, their higher need is they need more revenue and, and communication that drives revenue is marketing. So that's what I'm going to do. Where it went from there? I mean, first, several clients were... Uh, event heavy. So lots of the marketing that I did for them was to you know get people to come to free events or register for paid events or travel to conferences and so on. And then marketing and communications that kind of kept those live event relationships alive in between the events so that then they would want to come back to the next event. And then from that had other professional service providers contact me and started working with them. So Still today, most of, of the work that I do is for companies that provide a professional service. So, so like the owner operator is an expert in what they do um, and or they, they put on some sort of series of events where people get together and have experiences. So I, I really have little experience in the uh, product side of things unless it's like a, a digital product, like a course where again, it's not really like a product. They're still buying access to someone's expertise so they can learn something and be served that way. Uh, interesting. And what have you learned or kind of noticed around, you know, being able to market these kind of service based businesses, you know, ser- service providers, you know, experts? Is there anything in terms of, you know, kind of strategy or perspective or, or angle that that you've learned works particularly well? Or is there, are they these just kind of universal marketing you know, strategies that you use. I'm kind of curious on how specific it's gotten. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure someone will listen to this and be like, yeah, that's a universal strategy. So I, I don't think what I'm about to say is, is particularly brilliant. But I, I think for a business where, you know, the, the fundamental offer or what's at the core is is expertise, as the the marketer, it's like you you want to come up with stuff that has the person's expertise be accessible and out there in the world. But unless you're the expert or really totally get their expertise, you can't necessarily like write that on their behalf. So it's helpful to figure out what sort of communication style that person is open to and like, what are they reliable for? Like, can you just get them to record a rant every week? And then from that, that can be the basis of, of something that's coming up. Or are they happy to write? Is it they are just so in their work and only like once a year they can come up and publish something. So it's like finding which sort of communication channel and then on what frequency you can expect to draw new stuff and new ideas from this expert and then find the way to package that in a way that's uh, accessible and useful to um, to the audience. So I think of it that way because I think that for working with a you know an expert or professional service the relationship is really important. You know the the buyers 
uh, it's helpful for them to have a sense of this particular expert's flavor in, you know, carrying out their expertise in, in this channel. Yeah. And is this, there are several experts that I could choose to work from or, or to hire. Is this one, the one that I want to work with? So some sense of their personality and their values has got to get out there. She can tell through stories and, you know, the things that they're thinking about of where their industry is at right now or where it's going. So you've got to get that stuff out to allow the people to have a sense that they're have a relationship with this actual real person. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I find this a lot in the, um, particularly the more kind of technical professional services where, you know, a lot of times it comes off, kind of comes across as very kind of logical, rational argument. It's like, I'm a certified expert with these degrees and these things, you know, it's, it's a very kind of technical sell or a technical message. And, mm-hmm. you know, when a lot of these folks, you're not dealing with a product, right? I'm not going and, you know, buying this thing that I take home, this physical element, like it's, it's the person and so much of, you know, what ends up being, you know, the value and the relationship or value and the services provided is the relationship around it and the personality that's actually behind the the information. I mean, what what are some of the strategies that you can use to actually get kind of those personalities across that those values across? I mean, you mentioned the stories and things like that, but how does that actually take shape when it comes to your marketing strategy and the messages that you're putting out and the formats and kind of the techniques and channels and stuff that you're using? Mm, that's a good question. I'm thinking about you know, one of my clients is a, a triathlon coach and was recognized recently by the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee as the Paralympic Coach of the Year across all sports. So, I mean, there's an opportunity where his name's Wes Johnson and, and his business is called Balanced Art Multisport or, or BAM. And um, yeah, like there is a temptation there to just be like, hey, you know, Wes is a certified level two USA triathlon coach and this coach of the year and everything. What's helpful with Wes is, you know, we've done some personality analyses and stuff and, you know, on the strengths finders scale, we both in our in our top five have belief. And so there are things that that Wes really feels strongly about. And he has had some ups and downs with coaching. You know, one of the key things I was actually with him just we were out on a ride a couple of years ago at a camp and his front wheel got stuck in a cattle guard and it just flipped him over and just like horrible accident, you know, like just a total mess and he got a concussion and, and he thought he was recovering from the concussion and got on a bike again and then got in a second accident and sort of like repeated the concussion and really had like a dark year. So I wasn't, he wasn't a client of mine at that time. I was a, a customer. I'd hired one of his other coaches to coach me, but I was observing as, as this was going on. But now when Wes talks about his coaching and the types of people that he wants to work with and the social media that he does and in our marketing, there's always an opportunity to talk about how in every challenge is an opportunity and an opportunity to learn something and an opportunity to triumph, an opportunity to grow. And all of that you know, often comes back to him having a concussion and the depression that ensued and what got him out of it, which was when he decided to start looking for the opportunities and the challenge that he had at that moment. So, I mean, in there, it's like you have the background of his expertise. You know that he's on the court because he's actually writing. You have a story, like a narrative that you can connect with. You have sort of like a basic hero's journey. But then you also have this value of it doesn't matter how hard things get. It's important to be optimistic and it's important to look for what you can learn. You know, so the the, the value of learning. So, I mean, just strategies to, to find, you know, what are those values that I I, I really think, I mean, there's tons of personality analyses out there, strength analyses and stuff. I, I think you've got to do 
do the hard work to find out what are the things that this person really cares about. Like when we talk about what's their flavor, like what is it actually? And then the way that you communicate those is you tell stories that prove that that is a value versus something else, or you contrast that value with another option to say, we're all in this situation, or, or you could be in this situation and you could do this, or you could do that. And if you work with us, we're going to do A, because this and this and this and this. If you'd rather do B, go somewhere else. I mean, it's not, not, not <laughs> quite that. Like, yeah, yeah, it's not, I mean, that's sort of like the meta structure for how you're trying to communicate, right? And I mean, you don't necessarily, I mean, some people, if part of their style is being super abrasive and to the point of abruptness, you might say it that way. For others yeah. that are that are softer, you can still say the same thing, but in a way that's like loving and respectful. Yeah. <laughs> Less people feel like they have the choice and it's fine, whatever they choose. So yeah. I think really identifying those values and then putting those values out uh, or articulating them in stories and then contrasting those, those values versus other options. And it's not like a good, bad, right, wrong. It's just like you could do this or you could do that. And it's really up to you. If you're here with us, this is the road we're going to take. If you want the other road, you know, all the best. Yeah, exactly. I find it so often that um, particularly service companies, they reach you know maybe a couple million in revenue by just being really good at something and they've got a good roster of clients, but then they want to start scaling and and they end up in this position where they, they kind of do everything for everybody and they haven't really articulated their core, kind of their core offering and who their core customer is. And, and without that, it's just so hard to think of really kind of scale a business, both strategically and operationally. But I'm curious on the customer side, how much do you work with your clients and, and what's the process that you use to kind of help them identify who really their customer is, whether you call it a target or a persona or, you know, just deciding that, hey, look, we're not we're not trying to do everything for everybody. We're trying to do these specific things for this type of person. How have you approached that kind of that conversation and that process for helping a client figure out who that is. Yeah, I mean, I, starting with kind of all the stuff that we've been talking about, you know, it's really important to me to get to know my clients really well so that I am super clear on what they value. And then instead of like, what do you value? And they tick off seven things and I just believe it. You know, it's like, that's <laughs> going to lead me astray because yeah, it's like probably that. not not the truth unless I like know that they've, you know, not that they're lying, but it's just like they, it's hard work to find out what you really value. So you got to do all that. And then the next place to go then like I love looking at the data of, of who is coming in, how things have been pitched before. Big fan of surveys, even like this week with BAM, you know, with uh, coronavirus happening, obviously in the world of sports and races and stuff, lots of things have been rescheduled and BAM puts on training camps. We had one in March and one in April and, you know, we had to cancel both of those. And so now we're faced with this question of like, okay, we'd love to do another camp for those because those camps help our customers prepare for really big races in May and in June, Ironman events. And those events have been rescheduled for the fall. So... The people that we're serving, you know, want to do well in these events. And now those events have moved. Can we serve them by having a camp uh, in August? And instead of deciding just which week is good for us or which location is good for us, it's like, well, let's ask them. So yeah. <laughs> write up a survey, email it to everyone who's registered for a camp this year in the last two years and saying, hey, as you know, the world is crazy. Races have been rescheduled. We canceled our camps and we're looking at doing one in August. And we have these week options and we're weighing the possibility of doing it in this location or this location, you know, and, and here are the trade-offs that we're thinking about. We'd love your input to see what you guys care about and send it and boom, you know, in one day had 
20 people immediately respond, you know, within just a few hours. And I'm sure yeah. there've been a bunch more since. So there's that, you know, starting with values and, and then looking at who are of all the available buyers, which ones have values that align with that. And then, you know, as much interaction with customers, surveys, feedback, or presenting them with the option to buy one of two things and seeing which ones they take and, and you know, having that be your survey. So I'm not sure if that's totally getting to the answer of the question that you had, but I think it's a, a step in the right direction. Yeah. No, I think just think it's really important as companies figure out or as they decide they want to scale, like they really want to kind of grow the business. It's just, it's so much easier if you've had those discussions, if you've answered those questions, if you've really identified who specifically you're trying to talk to, what kind of service offering mm-hmm. you're providing them. Because, you know, otherwise it, it's just so watered down or it's so generic that uh, it's hard. And it doesn't yeah. mean you're, you're not going to do business with other folks. <laughs> it doesn't mean you're going to refuse money. Yeah. You know, it just means right. that it really, it focuses your messaging. So you can say, hey, look, this is our primary client. Now, you know, other people that are kind of in and around that, that are interested in working with us, that's fine. But it helps you kind of really get clear on who you're going to, who you're going to focus yeah. on. Terms of working. I mean, I think it's, it's yeah. just an ongoing dance, right? Because yeah. it's like you start, you start with your values and you start with your skills. And it's like, what do I have to offer that I think could be valuable? And what's important to me about how I'm going to do that? And then you go out and you see, okay, who's the total available market? Who might hire us for these skills? And of that chunk, which ones would identify with these values? And so you go forward with that. And then you find out there's like way more people than you can serve. So then, okay, we got to scale up our ability to meet all those needs. We're like, oh, the people who actually care about those values is a bit smaller. So, you know, do we need to offer more things to those same people? Because those are the only people we want to work with. So it's just like ongoing back and forth of where do we stand? What do we care about? What do we have to offer? What does the market care about? And who are we actually connecting with? And it's just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And and it's evolving too. I think, you know, over time when you start a business, you know, I think a lot of us entrepreneurs identify with this of like our first thing is I want freedom, <laughs> you know? And so that's your number one value and you only want customers who value their liberty too. And then yeah, over time exactly. you're like, yeah, yeah, I mean, freedom is cool, but I want to make more money. And so like that, that kind of thing shifts and you realize like, yeah, I mean, freedom is, is good, but unless I can do something with it, like who yeah, cares, exactly. you know? And yeah. so like you evolve and then obviously, you know, the marketplace and people who are out there evolve. And so it's just a dance, you know? Yeah. And I like that idea. I mean, I think it's so much of this is, you know, learning and evolving and, you know, it goes the other way. Like you're, like you said, you know, you're communicating out, you're trying to get people to buy, you're trying to communicate and message out, you know, but then you end up learning something and, you know, you have, you have information like flowing back to you and that, you know, you, you can incorporate that and, and process that, put that into your strategy, identify opportunities and then, and then reposition yourself and, you know, try things and experiment. Tell me a little bit about the kind of the marketing to sales relationship and how you typically kind of strategically set it up, how you get involved, how you, your customers get involved in terms of effective marketing gets builds awareness gets the message out there drives demand you know creates kind of qualified leads at some level but like how do you kind of draw the line or how do you work with customers to figure out once you've got kind of that interest and that demand how do you work out the sales processes are you developing those strategies are you partnering with clients do you partner with other folks like how do you actually get it down to okay i've got now have paying clients and repeat customers and long-term relationships like what does that funnel or what does that process look like for you yeah for me i take it on a case-by-case basis or i you know i just look at look at it client by client depending on their strengths with sales you know one of my clients does training for public relations professionals. He helps them uh, improve their writing and just the way that they interact with journalists and go about, you know, pitching their their clients or the companies that they work for to get, you know, more hits in media and so on. 
And there's sort of two buckets of sales for him. And one of them is his speaking and live trainings. And I have nothing to do with that. And then he has a membership program where he gives a, two live webinars a month to everyone who's on this. And most of my marketing revolves around that. And there's just two sales opportunities a year. So in, in his particular case, like he's pretty good at selling and he knows it's primarily his job to come up with, you know, a great uh, introductory sales webinar, you know, that lets people know about the opportunity. And I work with them and, you know, we kind of go back and forth on what should like the bonus be and, you know, for people to sign up in the webinar, people who sign up in the, the limited period after. And so, you know, we kind of support each other there. But my measurement in that case is more am I generating leads and having all the systems be successful with no open holes or leaky holes as we generate leads through the rest of the year. So that's just however much responsibility he's taken. And I fill it in and support him with this triathlon coaching business. It's kind of similar, like there are different sales groups and I have nothing to do with actually closing individuals for individual coaching relationships, but I do look at how many coached athletes are there on a yearly basis and how long do people stick with those coaches is just sort of an overall re reflection of everything that we're doing. And then there are, um, this coaching business has a, a gym where people pay for memberships and I am very interested in, in accountable to those sales on a monthly basis. So again, like for me, one of the most important things in, in business is relationships. And so I just step into it with a new client and see what is the existing status of sales and is there someone who's responsible for it, someone who's successful with it or, you know, what do they actually need? And whatever the state of the business's relationship is with its own sales, then I make sure that I'm supporting and enhancing and, and growing that relationship. And for me so far, it's different with every client. Yeah. Any common kind of challenges or situations that, that you end up kind of finding or as clients come to you, as prospects come to you and talk about their business and their situation, what their goals are and what they've been doing, any sort of common mistakes or, or challenges that, that come up a lot of times that, um, that you help businesses with? Yeah. I mean, the, you know, the packaging of what it is that people are buying or what it is that they perceive that they're buying is, is super important. And again, you know, when I'm, again, mostly dealing with expert service providers, owner operators, the tendency for them is to look at it through the lens of this is what I do. And that's what they're selling when there's often a lot more value and success to be had in looking at it through what is the person buying? Like, what is it that they hope to get out of this? So with Michael Smart in the inner circle, the PR training, he's really quite good at thinking of things from his customer's point of view. But then there's there's always like a bunch of things that are available to people. And, and really where I'm helpful is to say like, we don't want to like throw all of this stuff at everyone. And like, oh, when you sign up, you get this and this and this and this. <laughs> and it's sort of like, like, why? You know, yeah. like, I don't know. But the only thing that I really want is this. And so it definitely is a a temptation to just either say this is what we do or to tell them like everything that, that they're getting and have all of that be on the same hierarchy so it's important first to think about what is it that the person actually wants to buy and then to kind of break those things down in a in a hierarchy of what's most important and to make sure that the order in which that's presented or you know how much emphasis is given to different things um, takes that into account 
And then similarly with, uh, um, with BAM, with this coaching business in the gym is there's a lot of different services or like there's some people who have memberships and are coached and some people who are coached and don't have memberships and discounts and in different places, you know, when you do different things and, and that's sort of like an ongoing project that we're working on is to simplify the offering. And instead of having 15 different ways that people can be your customers, we're trying to bring that down to like three ways. So if yeah. you want to be a customer of BAM, you can do this or this or this, you know, just a, a little bit like the uh, Chipotle theory of just yeah. make it simple. Don't have a 72 item menu, just chicken or beef. Yeah. Kind of the tyranny of choice problem. Too many choices people lock up. Interesting. And what's, you know, as you look at your own business and kind of growing and scaling, what have you noticed about where you see opportunities, how you've kind of approached expansion? Give us a little insight about your own kind of entrepreneurial strategy here. Yeah. Initially, my um, offering or the only thing that I was focused on doing was marketing. And, you know, as is evident through this conversation, I really value relationships. That was one of the values that I woke up to. You know, I, I started with marketing and I, did what I thought other people were doing that I thought were successful. And, you know, for a time there, it seemed really popular just to be, uh, you know, an, an advisor or a coach. So it's like, help as many people as you can. And so I followed that model for a year of kind of thin relationships, volume with thin relationships. And what I found as it went on and on and on is I was like, ah, oh, man, like, I'm giving people great ideas and great direction, but this isn't the help they need. The help that the people in my circle and the people who are my clients, my customers that are close to me, the help that they need is someone to actually get it done. You know, they generally have an idea of what to do and they'll appreciate the good ideas, but they need someone to get it done. And so I made this shift to, I'm going to focus on helping the people that I'm working with as deeply as possible, even if that means as few as or having, you know, as little as one client. But the more important thing to me is just to be as in-depth or be as helpful in-depth as I can. So with with that, then it's like, okay, just get into the business and help them with the immediate need, which is marketing. And that's why they contracted me. And then when I see another opportunity to present that and say, hey, I'm noticing this thing that I think would be useful in the business. Do you have someone in place to do that? Could I help with that? So over time, things have expanded that way. And so while what I'm doing now is still focused on marketing, there are a lot of responsibilities that um, I'm fulfilling for clients that are more in just the operations and the management of the business. And I see that being like the future of my business and how I continue growing is that small service businesses can my business to manage every aspect of the business for them so they can really just focus on being the expert and delivering value to their customers. So while initially it's like, I can take care of the marketing and you have to take care of everything else. Now it's, I can take care of the marketing and can take care of the management and can take care of accounting and contracts and the technology stack and anything, you know, that allows them to focus on the actual service or the expertise that they provide are, are things that over time, I see my my business providing and taking care of for my clients. Yeah, yeah I can't tell you the number of experts who have gone off on their own and then realizes they hate owning a business. <laughs> they just want to do yeah. what they do. You know, they they yeah. love doing their work and they hate running the business. And so I'm, I'm right. I'm, I think you're uh, you know for particularly for these kind of higher end uh, experts who you know it's intense. Like they just they they're mm -hmm. really good at what they do. They just want to do more of that. And if they can find people to help them increase the percentage of time they're doing that and less on the business, I think it's probably a good strategy. Yeah. You know, I, I have compassion for that. I, you know, my family is full of fairly 
strong, fairly smart personalities. And we also generally don't like to get told what to do. I think that was one of my challenges, you know, being in, in the corporate world and being at an agency was taking instructions from people that I felt like were, you know, my level peers or not someone that I was like, wow, like I really look up to your expertise. And definitely there's some, you know, still some, some pride <laughs> there, but I recognize there are a lot of people like that. And I would love to see them succeed. Like I, <laughs> the joke that I say about a lot of my clients is like, they succeeded in spite of themselves, you know, for a long time. And so if they can have a semi-successful business with no one running the business as a business, then just imagine when they have the support of someone who allows them to like be them and be the expert and not be their boss, but have a sort of co-peer-to-peer trusted relationship where it's like, listen, I got the management part of your business or the business part of your business, and you're going to be the expert. Um, Be the rock star. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Now, there's a bit of pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, the work that you do, what's the best way to get that information? Easiest way is, um, you know, you can look for me in any social channel. My last name is Harward, H-A-R-W-A-R-D. There are very few. There's only like one other Nat Harward out there online. So if you Google Nat Harward or, or Nat anything that you remember from this conversation, Nat Utah, <laughs> Nat Triathlon, Nat Marketing, you'll find my website, but uh, tmbventures.com. And then, yeah, Nat Harward uh, on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, elsewhere. Awesome. I will put those in the show notes so people can click through, get that information. This has been a pleasure. It's great to catch up. It's great to hear what you're doing. Good insights. I must say that there's a lot of folks out there that are in this kind of expert area, expert career, you know, expert business and struggling with the business side of it. So, you know, I think you provide some really interesting insights and services. I appreciate you taking the time today. You're welcome. Thank you, Bruce. And I appreciate all the good work that you're doing and bringing these resources together for us. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.